Welcome to Once Upon a Disney, an analytical yet fun-loving look at Disney narrative filmography from the 20th century. I'm Andy Redwine, and with me, as always, is the front-running candidate in this year's Halloween Town mayoral race, and it's not even close, Larry Brenner. How are you, Larry? Spooky. I'm feeling spooky. Well, you've got my vote. Okay. Oh, thank you. Uh, thank you. <laughs> Before we got derailed, we covered Escape to Witch Mountain. So in honor of Halloween, we're going to be talking about 1993's The Nightmare Before Christmas. Which is a family favorite over here at the Brenner House. We watch it every Halloween night. Uh, we're, we're very excited for it. Oh, we have a couple of kids that really like this movie, too. So... Um, so, well, some key facts to set the stage. The movie began life as a poem written by Tim Burton back in 1982 when he was an animator at Disney. Um, the poem was a satire piece of The Night Before Christmas. Everybody knows that um, poem, Twas the Night Before Christmas and All Through the House, right? Yes. But Tim Burton, but Tim Burton did not direct this movie, even though his name is on the, uh, it's Tim Burton's The Nightmare Before Christmas. Didn't direct it even though he certainly created the story. Um, Henry Selleck directed The Nightmare Before Christmas and, of course, went on to do James and the Giant Peach and Coraline. And I think we can see the resemblance in each of those films. Oh, absolutely, um, yes. Yeah, the movie took about three years to complete as one minute of the film took about a week to produce. Um, so when it was first released, the dark, scary nature of Halloween Town caused Disney to release this as a touchstone movie rather than as a Disney movie proper because it was, quote, too scary for kids. But every Halloween in Disneyland now, the Haunted Mansion becomes the Nightmare Before Christmas Mansion as Jack and the Halloween Town residents take over the ride. So maybe not as scary as we thought. I don't know that like anyone other than the youngest of little kids finds this scary. The monsters are all goofy. Uh, right. They're goofy and they're fun in the way that little kids enjoy them. Like maybe babies, babies and like toddlers might have a problem with it. But, you know, if you're taking your baby or toddler to something called the nightmare before Christmas, <laughs> that's that's on you. You know, that's that's not the movie's fault. It delivers what it promises. I definitely think second grade, first, second graders can handle this movie with no problem. Oh, agreed. Agreed. Yeah. It's fun. Yeah. All right. All right. So let's get started with the Manish Tana, the point of attack. This movie begins with a song, as many Disney movies do. It begins with, this is, you know, it's a song about Halloween. This is Halloween. We've got the monsters all singing. Uh, we're introduced to a bunch of characters. Andy, why does the movie choose to begin here at the end of a Halloween celebration? That why is, is that the point of question, attack? Larry. It's a great question. Um, so... In this movie, I get the feeling that, you know, Jack is in charge of Halloween, right? And he's just pulled off Halloween yet again. And he's really bored with the monotony of the, of the same old, same old year after year. Um, and this, for whatever reason, is the year he's proven to himself he just can't take it anymore. He needs something different out of life. So it's almost like Jack's having a... You know, everyone relies on him to head up Halloween. It's just too much. And it's almost, this, almost a midlife crisis. Kind no, of it's thing. absolutely like, a midlife crisis. I think that's accurate. I what, What's interesting for me, though, about the Manish Tana is I am nowhere near the place that Jack is. 
when they sing this song, it's the first time I've ever seen it. I'm seeing all sorts of visually co cool elements. The characters are fun. Uh, the voice acting is fun. Every, every bit about this, I'm like, I'm so glad I'm here. And Jack's like, oh, this again. Like, it, like, right. I want, uh, you know, I want the Magic Kingdom to have like Halloween Town, right? I want them to have a whole thing built around everything that is a truly a visual feast for the eyes. So yeah, I, I totally agree. And, and what it reminds me of more than any other Disney movie is it, it sort of reminds me of Beauty and the Beast, how Belle mm -hmm. starts singing um, about this is the baker with his tray as like always. Mm. Uh, but when Belle sings that song, we all kind of get why, like, that village is charming, but we get that there's nothing magical or storybookish about it, so we get where Belle is coming from. But when Jack does it, like, Jack, I'm not with you. I just got here. <laughs> How can you be bored with this place? It's fantastic, right? So so it's an interesting point of attack, and I, I, I want to link this up with structure and plot a little bit. Part of the reason we start here is exposition. They're doing world building, right? They're showing right. us the sit that that Halloween Town exists. They're showing us the citizens of Halloween Town. That's that's all great. I wonder though if we've started the point of attack in the wrong place, because mm. maybe we need to see the thing that caused Jack to realize he's bored with Halloween. Something must have happened in this Halloween celebration. Some something must have kicked off this midlife crisis. I don't know what it is. An interaction with some trick-or-treaters that he tried to spook and it was too easy. Mm -hmm. uh, I, or or that it was just, you know, there's no effort required. I, I don't I don't know what it is. Yeah, he uh, clearly has everyone's adoration, right? And he's the center of attention, but it's clearly no longer providing the satisfaction it once did. Right. And right. and we don't know why. And he and, has the chops to pull off Halloween because he does it every year, right? But he's clearly no longer happy with it. And what's funny about this is be, this one moment, for me, throws off the entire structure of the movie, which I love. Mm -hmm. you, listener, I love The Nightmare Before Christmas. But structurally, it's a big old mess. Which is fine, because because I will totally get into the irony of this movie treats movies the way that Jack treats treats Christmas. Like, it's got all the right ingredients, but because Jack's the one doing it, the movie's coming out uh, right. not on the right recipe. I'm fine with it. But right. let's let's. So we've talked about exposition. The inciting incident is the next part structurally of a storyline. It's the moment where. So the movie propels itself forward. Something has changed, and therefore, like every the the rest of the movie almost becomes inevitable. Things are going to build on this one pivot point, mm -hmm. and part of me feels like that one pivot point could be whatever happened on this Halloween, but it can't be that because we didn't see it, and I have a real hard time pinpointing the inciting incident in this movie because there's a few mm. different places it could be uh andy do you want to do you want to pick some yeah well pick one um sure i think the inciting incident is when jack uh finds the door in the tree to christmas town and i would say of all the potential answers we've got here yours is the best yours is the winner andy Yay. um but but pick it a prize uh the prize is friendship. It's the oh, prize good. is the friendship we oh, made good. along the way. 
Excellent. <laughs> so, no, but I, you know, arguably that's the thing that changes everything forever. It's Jack going through the door to Christmas Town, except he goes to Christmas Town. He comes back and he spends some time digesting what he's learned in Christmas Town. Mm-hmm. And it isn't until later that the thing happens that'll actually start the movie. The alternate inciting incident is Jack saying, This Christmas thing, let's take it for ourselves. I bet I can do it better. Because that's really the thing that starts the action in the movie. You don't right? think that's like act two, the beginning of act two? Well, but usually the inciting incident leads us, you know, right into act two. And and I'm right. saying, I'm saying up until that point, the action doesn't feel inevitable. He went to Christmas Town. He came back just like I went to Japan and I came back from Japan. But I didn't, you know, what what starts my movie is when I say, oh, I'd be a great prime minister of Japan. Let's go back and I'll take it over. <laughs> That's the movie. Right, and right. What I'm left with, Andy, is usually in a movie, the inciting incident is brief. It's a quick little beat. You can easily identify it. And in this movie, it is a lengthy inciting incident, which begins at the second. This is Halloween is over when Jack says, I'm depressed. I'm bored. I'm uninspired to him going on a walk going into Christmastown, coming back from Christmastown, doing experiments about Christmas in his laboratory up until the point where he decides to to become Santa Claus and do uh, Christmas. But that is a 20-minute, 25-minute inciting incident. And Jack, such things just aren't done. You're messing with story structure now. Well, it's an easy answer for Jack, right? Because... You know, very quickly we learn that Jack's not happy with Halloween. Hey, there's this new world of Christmas. Now we get to explore that world. And Jack says, oh, that's this is what I've been looking for my whole life. Right. This is the reason I, you know, I I didn't know this existed and I need to bring this back. And if I could only do this, then my life will have the, um, you know, my life will have the joy and satisfaction that I've been looking. Oh, my gosh, Andy. Yes. You're, 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 earlier you called this a midlife crisis. He's doing the most typical thing a guy does in a midlife crisis. <laughs> I'm so bored of my partner. I'm going to go have an affair with this new partner, and that's going to make my life better. But of course, it's not, Jack. No, of course, you no, need Jack. to come to terms with you. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That really does work, doesn't it? He has an affair with Christmas. With Christmas. <laughs> Exactly. I I am shocked. I am shocked. (laughs) Who knew we were going to go? No, I I, I didn't know. (laughs) All right. So that's the inciting incident. So then from that point on, we have rising action. Right. And what's interesting is we've got this other storyline with Sally, which isn't quite on the same level. Uh, but Sally has a storyline. Definitely a solid B story. Definitely the solid B story, but yes. isn't isn't you know flowing at the exact same beat points that that Jack is. Once once Jack uh, discovers that he's interested in Christmas, he starts giving orders, asking people to do things uh, to to get ready for Christmas. Sally uh, is trying to stop him. She tries talking to him. She tries. Uh, uh, releasing fog to to keep the the reindeer from going out. He's trying to slow him down. And, All of that and his stuff. His role is not getting slowed for no. sure. 
Uh, he sends Lock, Shock, and Barrel to kidnap Santa Claus. All sorts of stuff happens here. Mm-hmm. That's all rising action. And again, I have a problem with story structure, Andy, because what is the climax of this movie? Normally in a movie, the climax is the battle between good and evil. Not in all movies, but possibly this movie. It is where things are at their most tense, most exciting. It is usually the moment of the movie we've been waiting for uh, everything to to happen. And, And what would you say the climax of this movie is? Well, I'm I'm going to back up for just a second. I mean, I love the rising action, which is, you know, Jack's this great explorer um, who's come from the far, you know, reaches of the globe to explain, is now explaining the elements of Christmas to the home folks, right? Um, and they're trying to replicate those things, but they can only see Christmas from their point of view. But then we get this oogie boogie experience. And I think the I think the climax is where Jack rescues Sally and Santa while defeating Oogie Boogie, and it frees Santa to save Christmas. Yes, I would right? agree with you that that yeah. that is, or at least that's what the movie wants us to think the climax is. Right. Our hero is fighting his villain. Things things are at their highest point. Except Andy, it's not at its highest point because Christmas is not saved yet. Well, right. not even not not no, it's not even that. What I bought my ticket for was to see Jack ruin Christmas. And right. that hap- that the 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 Jack version of Christmas where the presents are out of control, <laughs> where the wreath starts eating people, where where the snake wraps itself around the tree instead of like a toy train. That is for me the the exciting part of the movie. Uh, that's where we have worlds colliding. That's where we have this mishmash of Christmas and Halloween. Mm-hmm. Jack then comes back to his hometown to fight Oogie Boogie, but that's not where the tension of this was. We wanted to see Jack mess up Christmas. He's already done it. We don't right. really. We weren't really here to see him fight Oogie Boogie. Well, Arguably, in a way, he's got to repair what he's broken. Sure. So if if okay, so if Jack is having a midlife crisis. He's flirted with Christmas. Christmas is out of control. Halloween's out of control. And what he finds out is he really loved Halloween Town. He's got to set things right. And the way to do that, I think, is to rescue Sally and allow Santa to do his work as opposed to Jack taking over Santa's job. No, I'm sure you... I'm I'm with you. I'm just saying, as an audience member, I am not worried that this movie is going to end with Santa Claus being killed by Oogie Boogie. (laughs) Where, where I'm at, where things are at their most uncertain for me, where I'm like, oh my gosh, anything could happen, it's it's the Christmas ride. I got okay, that. That cool. for me is where I'm like, oh my gosh, what is happening here? Uh, right. It is it is incidentally where Jack has his near death experience. Right, mm-hmm. he's he's sure. more in danger there than he is in the Oogie Boogie fight. In, good, good call. He's blown out of the sky, and people start saying Jack is dead. That that feels pretty <laughs> climactic to me. Yeah, it does. You're right. So so we're left with this sort of double beat climax, which we recently talked about in Toy Story. Right. But what I think is interesting is they do it in the wrong order. Again, we're messing with structure. In <laughs> in Toy Story, we defeat the bully character who's sort of like the villain of the piece, but you know isn't really the story. Sid. And then we have the big wild ride to get Woody and Buzz back where they belong. 
In this one, we have the big wild ride where Jack is not in his element and he's not where he belongs. And then we defeat this bully character, this villain character who the story isn't really about. And we'll talk about why the story is not about Oogie Boogie when we get to him a little bit later. It's just once again, the story structure is is not right. Uh, I still love it. I still love it. And maybe part of this oh, is sure. Andy, if you're if every every week of this movie that you're shooting you're getting about 30 seconds done, there's not a lot of opportunity to go back and revise and make sure that the structure is perfectly. You just got to you just got to work with what you've right. got. Right. And I also kind of get this feeling again because of the way the movie's made. Do you feel like there are these sequences of the movie that happen? It feels almost episodic in some of these ways, just a few minutes at a time. Um, I don't know. It feels that way to me. It almost, and I, again, I have no proof of this, but it also feels like in the middle somewhere there was a rewrite or something happened and we had to make, we had to pull something else off because I, but it wasn't I, enough or this was too much or something. But um, knowing like Oogie Boogie comes out of nowhere and he's not really set up. It's not like there's this uh, character that's, undermining everything I want to do with Halloween town. Right. And there's not that um, character. And so, and even that sequence, the, um, and the Oogie Boogie stuff that the uh, animation looks a little different. It's a lot less stop action. It looks a little smoother. Um, so it makes me wonder if that's sort of a, yeah, we've got to, we've got to fix a problem. It feels more like a patch than a original design. I I think you're right. No, no, no. I mean, we don't know. Neither of us was there. But one of of the things that we do know about how the industry works is three years is a long time to be making a movie. (laughs) And the odds that you're getting notes as you're doing this and having to adjust to those notes along the way. But unlike in a traditional movie, you know, every time you make a change, uh, you know, you just go back and shoot it. The, the amount of setup changing, you just work with what you've got to right. try to make the story come out right. And I, I think that's, I think that's probably right. Again, we don't know, but it feels right to me. It feels that way. I'm not sure, but it feels that way. And then of course the falling action, the resolution is Jack and Sally cementing their love in light of that big harvest moon. That's so iconic. That shot that we see everywhere around Halloween, right? Right. And and Christmas has come to Halloween Town. They they we see that it snows in Christmas in Halloween Town for the first time ever. So right. so that that we do get some satisfac- satisfactory falling action here. Well, let's talk about the use of music a little bit. Oh, um, please. What do you th- what do you think about music here? I think this is a musical. Oh, it's 100% a musical. I and I love the music. I love every song of this. I love everything the music is doing. I love I love even when the musicians do the offbeat version of Jingle Bells to make it like dark and macabre. I I I enjoy that too. Yeah, I uh, mean my eyes get a little moist when Jack longs for Christmas. You know, there's I, a lot of catchy sticky tunes here. What's really this matches, is so much fun. It matches the film. Like it's so perfect. It matches the animation and man, it's so good. I sing Kidnap the Santa Claus all the time. Uh, for me, the interesting thing about the musical, other the music, other than the fact that it's great, is I see Jack doing something with the music that I don't know that I've ever seen a Disney character do before. 
And I've talked in other uh, ep podcast episodes about how music generally provides exposition or allows a character to reveal their secrets or possibly is just funny and entertaining in its own right. And certainly the movies here do that. But Jack goes one step further, which is he uses the songs to get himself out of depression. He does self-talk. Mm. He's giving himself therapy sessions. So, so they start off as like, woe is me, woe is me, I'm so sad. And then he keeps, keeps singing. And as he's singing, he starts working himself up with a manic glee and energy, which causes him to like rush in to the next scene. Like he's, right. he's constant. Whereas Ariel will sing like, you know, look at this stuff. Isn't it neat? But she's posing the problem that she's got without solving it. Jack sings till he comes up with the solution, till he right. feels better, and it, it, the song leads him to his next action. It's fascinating. Yeah, I mean, it feels a lot like, um, I think it, it's this kind of, the self-therapy gets used in later movies, like Tangled um, does this a lot, um, Frozen. So sure. we start to see it more, but this is sort of the genesis of that, I think. And of course, our, our listeners can correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, so if we're wrong, but but it does feel like that. And it also has this of uh, that self therapy. And it also has the feel of a um, like a Rankin and Bass Christmas movie. Yes, it does. Um, like, Intentionally, like I think. Those reindeer, but it's a much less conventional format. And it's so it feels almost like a satire to something like that. I mean, um, I definitely where, get Island of Misfit Toys sort of feels in in, right. in, in this that's absolutely, you know, yeah, that's absolutely a predecessor feels about himself and how, you know, he doesn't fit. And it, you know, it, it kind of has that kind of like, oh, what if this were a, what if this were an alternative Christmas special? Right. Yeah. I just I'm just saying in another movie, Jack would need somebody else to help him have his realizations. And right. he doesn't. He, he doesn't. Does himself. I mean, even he does the work towards himself. In his moments of greatest despair, after the the midnight ride has gone wrong and he's been blown up, his song begins with, what have I done? What have I done? And by right. the end, he's like, well, what the heck? I'm going to make <laughs> Halloween even better next year. Right. Right. right like right. like he just he just works himself. He just get he does not stay down. He uses music as the tool to, to keep himself up. And like, that's inspiring. I love yeah. that. I like it, too. Um so characters, let's talk about Jack um, as a character, as the Pumpkin King. What do we think about Jack as a character? I mean, Jack is an artist. He's got an artist's soul and sensibilities. You know, there's no there's no functionality to what to what he's doing. It's not about function. It's about doing things artistically and doing them well. I his vision for how these things should be executed may be off, but right. There is this, I think the reason we're drawn to him is he's, he is a visionary. He's a right? visionary who delegates a whole lot and, <laughs> and doesn't always communicate his vision perfectly, right? Um, and so things don't always go the way he wants them to go because he's not that great of a communicator. <laughs> he's not. And he's definitely a big picture guy and the little details fall, fall away uh, a little bit. I mean, But the people really love him. They do. And I do get the sense that he loves, he may not respect them. He may mm. not respect them, but he does, I think, care for the people of Halloween Town. 
Maybe I, he's just tired of them. Like he's you know, just bored. Uh, we, we had a little conversation pre-production about how Jack kind of reminds us of Woody from Toy Story. Mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. And yeah. how and how they're sort of in similar roles that Jack's uh, again midlife crisis he's gotten tired of being a you know a parent he's been settled down with Halloween for so long and raised a family with Halloween uh still still loves his Halloween kids but you know uh oh man this is this is rough for me Andy um <laughs> but but there is sort of a woody like he's the sheriff of yeah. of Halloween town yeah uh, for sure what what i think is fun is i think he's also buzz from Toy Story, I think uh, because mm -hmm. Buzz is the one who's capable of great self-delusion into believing he's this space ranger. I think Jack right. is somehow a synthesis of both Woody and Buzz. And I, I can't help it. I find him delightful. I, I think I think that feels right. That feels right to me. Yeah. Um, he has a lot of. Um, yeah, he he has a good ego and he's certainly not afraid to use it. So. Positive self-esteem. <laughs> yeah. You know, it it's owns his mistakes when he makes them. When he recognizes yes. he's made mistakes, he takes responsibility for them. Right, right. Uh, there are so many positive traits about our protagonist here. I, I yeah, I'm a big fan. Ten out of ten. Jack, you're doing great work as a protagonist. We but still have really protagonist problems, sees... but I don't think he sees the true meaning of Halloween either. Like he needs, that's what, what he needs to learn is that where he's at is a really great place and what he does are really good things. But, um, but and I, I think seeing Christmas town in juxtaposition with Halloween helps him really understand why people love him, why he loves them and why he's in charge and really who Sally is and, and really how maybe how to take some direction. Yes. No, I would agree with all of that. You know, he's going yeah. on a journey to greater self-realization. And mm -hmm. part of that is going to be about making some mistakes along the along the line. But he comes he comes back a better pumpkin king. Right. 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 For sure. OK, let's talk about Sally. Um, so, she's created by Dr. Finkelstein. But yes. I'm going to submit to you that I don't think Sally's a really a realized character. Well, She's different people. I mean, look, we're all different people when we're around different people. But right. are you talking about how, like, she's very different with Dr. Finkelstein and very different with Jack? Yes. I mean, but she doesn't seem to really know what she wants. She seems, how do I want to say this? Like, she's willing to poison people and her detachable limbs do provide some great bits, right? But she's, and, but she's also the only one who seems to question this whole master plan of Jack's. The only Christmas, one where everyone else is going along and she's the she's the lemming who won't go. Right. So I don't know that it is that she doesn't know what she wants. I think we know. I think she wants Jack. I think I think that's very clear. I'm right. not 100 percent sure why she wants Jack. Yeah, that's that's what I'm after. Like, why is it just she because she's the girl and you're supposed to want the protagonist or is there something deeper well, let, here. let's contrast it um, with with her other major relationship, which is with Dr. Finkelstein. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, he he is her creator and she definitely like she has been created to serve him and mm -hmm. she does not want that. She no. does not want to be in service to him. She certainly does not want to be a romantic partner to him. Uh, he he's he's sort of father and husband 
at the same Which time. Is, it's a really odd relationship because it feels like I, you know, it feels like an ownership situation where Finkelstein says, I own, you know, I, I made you, I own you, right? Yeah. Um, well, yes. No, it, it absolutely is. He, he expects gratitude from her mm-hmm. and all the time. And I, I'm sure she's happy to be created, but it is all obligation and it will never be an equal partnership, right? Right, right. So maybe... So one could argue when she looks at Jack, she looks at someone who she could be an equal partner with, except, except he does not see her. No, not at all. He sees her for her abilities with wardrobe, but, but does not hear her when she voices her concern about doing the nightmare before Christmas. She, he, he does not like, you know, the. She she is the pro, she is the woman in the boardroom who's the who's got the right idea and no one is paying attention to her because she's the woman. Right. J- Jack he, Jack doesn't demonstrate that he'd be a great partner for her. No, he does not. <laughs> so uh, talking about Doctor Finkelstein, um, Finkelstein really like Frankenstein. Finkelstein, sorry, I was saying fine. that wrong. I read it and then I say it the wrong way. Um, he really wants to keep Sally under his thumb. And she is as restless and curious as Jack is. So the two are similar in that way. Um, but he, he, and he does, he's awful. He does help Jack, like I said, by um, pre-production, by giving him the soul robber, right? And he does help with the reindeer for the sleigh. So he's a good character. He's a great character because he's not all bad or all good, but he's, He's awfully bad. Right? Well, I mean, so so let's let's actually let's actually divide this up a little bit. I don't think he's a good person at all. Right. Um, I just because he's helping Jack just means he's a good employee. It doesn't it doesn't speak to his ability as as a his humanity. Right. Uh, what what I get from Dr. Finkelstein, uh, Finkelstein the most uh, is the idea that he's full of self-pity. Uh, mm-hmm. We we do see that he's in the wheelchair. We don't we don't quite know why he's in the chair, but he's constantly like manipulating Sally, and it's not working, by the way, by no. by trying to make her feel bad for him. That is that's what it's all about. It's like you want me to starve, Sally. You tried to poison me three times this month, Sally. Like he he is right. he's constantly pushing <laughs> guilt and obligation on her, right. and I feel. No sympathy for him whatsoever. I understand why she wants to get away. Uh, and and it's also interesting, like, I don't know, and I don't want to go too far into this because it's yucky, whether he sees Sally as an ungrateful daughter, which is infinitely what I'd prefer, or right. if he's made her to be the bride of Finkelstein, right? It feels more, well, it feels more like an ungrateful daughter, to me in the in the movie i prefer Um, that interpretation because the other one is far yuckier yeah let's keep it let's keep it there um so zero um he's the halloween town version of rudolph he is he is uh and and barely a character that he's a dog and he's he's a very good boy um he is a very good boy i don't know that i have much to say about him except Watching Jack, one of the great screenwriting tricks that I've learned is if you're worried that your audience won't care 
about your protagonist, give them a dog and have them right. play with a dog. And that is enough to let you know, you know, if a dog loves someone, then we can we can be okay with this person as our protagonist. It is the greatest magic trick you can ever have as a writer. Super fun. You, it's hard yeah. to hate someone who loves his dog. Yeah, it's just, there are moments, it just is. There are moments for Zero that are comic relief, and he is he does save the day, and he has these little moments, as you say, where he does he loves Jack, and so we can love Jack, right? Um, it, and it's maybe the purest love that we see in Halloween yeah, Town. Yeah, for sure. I mean, he 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 loves his he loves his human, uh, his skeleton. He loves his, his skeleton. skeleton, his former human, right? Yes. There, <laughs> there you go. There you go. Okay, the mayor of Halloween Town. Um, oh boy! Well, here here we go, Andy. Um, <laughs> so the mayor of Halloween Town, I do not understand. Stand him. Okay, I'm going to go out on a limb and say he doesn't need to be in this movie. <laughs> or if he does, not as he is. Visually, right. he's amazing. Right? right. Yes, he's two-faced. So I think he could be more two-faced in his actions to match his character. Um, I always wondered why he was a character, because if Jack's the one in charge of Halloween... Why is he the mayor? Why isn't why Jack, isn't the, Jack mayor? the mayor? Why isn't the pumpkin king the mayor um hmm. it's just kind of a weird i mean what i end up with is there's this separation of church and state in halloween town which <laughs> don't even get me started on it and that jack is the spiritual leader of halloween town and maybe uh -huh. the true authority but the mayor is the one who makes the trains run on top. i don't know i don't well i mean but the mayor has delegated this whole halloween experience to jack which he then participates in but he expect he his he's got a lot writing on Jack's, um, you know, his success. So <laughs> if I don't know, I just I I I'll, I'll stick with it. I think it, the movie's better if we don't have him, <laughs> or or arguably Andy if he's a villain. Yeah, right. I right. mean, he's a two-faced, literally two-faced. Right, exactly. He's a two-faced politician. That yes. implies that there is a public face that everybody loves, but a secret sinister side that nobody gets to see. And instead, they've made his two faces the mask of comedy and tragedy, mm -hmm. which, you know, uh, doesn't really work for the, the, for the metaphor that he's designed to be. Right. Uh, you know, you know, part of me is wondering like should the mayor of Halloween Town want to be in charge of Halloween Town and he's planning on getting rid of Jack could right. be could be but in his current function he's he's likable he's sympathetic but but I I don't understand what he's doing in this movie well we'll get to my another thought I have for him in just a second but let's let's put a pin in that um lock shock and barrel Love um, them. I do too. We have an argument in our house that their siblings are friends. I I mean that I, they certainly seem to behave more like siblings than like friends, right? Uh, they're they're. I don't know. I don't know. I've never really thought about it. I uh, I I guess do they have parents in Halloween Town? It I it, don't know. It, 
I don't know. But they are delightful uh, in the worst possible ways. They're mischievous. Mm -hmm. They're tricksy. Um, but, but Jack, you know, talks to them affectionately. He knows they're mischievous trick-or-treaters. Uh, their song is I, I have so much fun seeing them planning the kidnapping of San Santa Claus. Right. I love it when they accidentally kidnap the Easter Bunny instead. Uh, they 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 are agents of chaos. I think more than Jack is an agent of chaos. Oh, for right? sure, for sure. Um, just thinking about this from a screenwriting perspective, I do like Lock, Shock, and Barrel a lot more than say Huey, Dewey, and Louie. Um, yes, as these guys each have distinct personalities. As um, professional trick-or-treaters, like Locke is some a devil who's easily frustrated and Shock is the smart one and really a born leader. And Beryl is Oogie Boogie's favorite and sort of the comic relief. And so instead of just three entities running around finishing each other's sentences, we have three entities running around but they're, they're, and they're together, but they each have separate personalities that add to the story. And unlike... Like Huey, Dewey, and Louie, they visually are very different, and that mm -hmm. adds something to it too. It, it, it no, I, I agree. Uh, they're, they're a fun little trio in a way yes. in which old school Huey, Dewey, and Louie, I don't, I never understood what we're getting out of them being triplets. Here, here, I get it. Right. Let's talk about Oogie Boogie for a second. I honestly thought the first time I watched this was that there was going to be this big Scooby Doo reveal. Um, where, well, that's not Oogie Boogie, it's old Dr. Finkelstein, or it's the mayor of Halloween Town, or, you know, it's somebody other yeah, underneath the costume. Um, I mean, he is wearing a mask, happen. right? It does look yeah. like he's wearing a mask. That's the convention of mask wearing is when you have a mask, it gets revealed, it gets right. pulled off, and you get revealed as something else. Right. Um, so, so, Oogie Boogie, arguably, he's meant to be the um, a parallel to Jack, a dark version of Jack, mm -hmm. whereas Jack is the version of Halloween that maybe likes children. Uh, Oogie Boogie is a darker version of Halloween that where things are actually really dangerous and bump in the night. Uh, I guess uh, he's, he really he's, comes out of nowhere, like he's not set up or anything, and it and there are perfect vehicles to set him up. The mayor could be yeah. Oogie Boogie, right? Could, could absolutely so both, we have two vehicles that are set up, and I think that's a missed opportunity for a, a great payoff. His actual reveal is he's made of bugs, and right. I I don't I don't know that that I mean go for the gross out. That's 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 a rule in horror, and sure. so I so I guess you can you can go with that, but but yeah, uh, he he just is what he is, uh, and honestly, he, his song is fun. I enjoy I enjoy the whole battle with him and Santa Claus, mm -hmm. but as a as a villain, he's not particularly interesting to me. And I, I want to come back to Oogie Boogie a little bit later, okay. uh, in in this. But but he he doesn't he doesn't quite work. If the mayor was two faced, one of his faces could be the public side of of um, I'll pull the pen out now. Um, the public side of of being the mayor, right? And then his dark sinister side could be Oogie Boogie. Could be. And that that, that would be nice. Uh, How anyway. great would it be, maybe, Andy, if in Halloween Town, even the people in Halloween Town don't believe in the boogeyman? 
Right. right? Like he's right. a legend even in Halloween Town. <laughs> and Jack was saying, oh, there's no Oogie Boogie. Uh, <laughs> and of course, the Oogie Boogie is actually the mayor. Oh, that, right. that, that would be, be something. That would be fun. That would be a lot of fun. Right. right. Well, I guess I guess what we're talking about here and is is really Oogie Boogie doesn't do enough. And we'll, uh, we'll talk about do enough. Yeah, we'll come back we'll to talk, it. We'll, yeah. So Santa Claus or Sandy Claus, right? Um, his mere presence really heightens the tension. Uh, if if we all know that Santa can't deliver presents on Christmas Eve, life is going to be a disaster. Um, so those of us who celebrate Hanukkah don't necessarily know that we've <laughs> we've been fine without him for years. But I'm with you, Andy. Well, for some of us, Christmas is the reason for living. Uh, for others, okay. it's just a thing. <laughs> you will never know the joys of Hanukkah land. Uh, we all ride well, there's dreidels. A, there's a spinoff. There's a okay. spinoff. But okay. no, no, no. I'm, I'm with you. Visually, he's been designed in contrast to Jack, right? Jack right. is tall and thin, and and uh, Santa is smaller and jollier, mm -hmm. uh, right? There, there's something there. But disposition-wise, this is the this is the grumpiest version of Santa Claus I think <laughs> I've ever seen well i mean he's been derailed i mean his whole reason for living his whole purpose has been derailed and this is the worst enough, day of his life nev has never grown tired of being santa claus in the way that jack has grown tired of being the pumpkin king right and, and yeah you're right and of course this was not this is not him on his best day but for me <laughs> the thing that really strikes this is jack comes back frees santa claus then apologizes to Santa Claus. And Santa Claus does not accept Jack's apology. He says, You yeah, you better be sorry. You really screwed this up. I'm gonna I'm gonna put things right, but you, you idiot. And like he's still and and I Which respect is kinda awesome because we we don't expect Santa to have a I mean it's another indication of this movie turning things on his head, right? We we always expect Santa to be forgiving, but what if he wasn't? I expected Santa to say to Jack, you know, the all, now I've lost so much time on Christmas. The only way to do it is if I have some help. Jack, will you help me? Nope. Santa's like, you've made enough of a mess out of this. I'll fix it. I don't need your help. Right, right, right. You know, stay in your lane, Jack. Don't <laughs> You, you want to ride with the big dogs? Uh, and he's so exactly. he's so grumpy and surly. He's so great, he's so great. Yes, it's 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 a nice it's a nice reveal. I agree. Okay, protagonist problems. Who is the protagonist of this movie, Larry? Well, it's definitely Jack. It's Jack's story. Jack is driving the action, uh, and I enjoy him as a protagonist very much. But there is this thing that happens in the movie that's a little tricky, mm -hmm. which is I'm. I'm not in sync with Jack's choices. Uh, there, there comes a certain point in the movie where Jack is, we're outside of Jack and we're seeing Jack through Sally's eyes. Mm. Right. Once right. he's decided we're with Jack as he's trying to explore Christmas. But what at the point where he says, now I'm going to take over Christmas. Suddenly we seeing everything through Sally's perspective because she's the one who knows things are going to get wrong. She gets a vision of Christmas burning, uh, that it's, she's she's sees things happening in disaster, and it sort of it sort of makes us connect to her rather than to him. But right. I would still say he's the primary protagonist of the movie. Mm -hmm. 
That works and, for me. I, I agree with you. There is a shift where Sally almost becomes, starts fulfilling the protagonist role um, at times. At yeah. times. I mean, yeah. so you could make an argument she's the deuteragonist. Yeah. So, but but Andy, who does, who that who's the antagonist of this movie? <sighs> who does the movie I mean, want us to think is the antagonist? We I could, think we they start. want us to think it's Oogie Boogie. But it's not Oogie Boogie. No. Why is it not Oogie Boogie? It because Oogie, it's not Oogie Boogie. Uh, uh, okay, this is me. Answer I'm, your own question. No, no, yeah. I'm, I'm. I'll go into my rant here. All right, please. Here's the problem with Oogie Boogie. Your antagonist needs to number one have a strong relationship with his protagonist, right? Oogie mm-hmm. Boogie isn't up to anything. He never leaves the house. Lock, we don't see him the first half of the movie. Lockshock and Barrel dump Santa Claus down into Oogie's lair, and that's when Oogie starts torturing Santa Claus. But that has nothing to do with Jack. Whoever right. they threw down there, he was going to torture. Oogie isn't out to replace Jack. He's not out to destroy Jack. He has no investment in this nightmare before Christmas. Uh, he doesn't seem to be afraid of Jack in particular. Mm-hmm. There's no conflict uh, with Jack. There's no conflict. He didn't nope. do anything wrong. I mean, right. he does. He does. Torturing Santa is bad. Right. But in terms of the rules of engagement with your protagonist, Oogie is not on a line headed straight for He's not coming at Jack. And, no. and you need to do that to be the, the antagonist is the person who opposes the protagonist. Mm-hmm. And Oogie doesn't. He doesn't do any of that work. Now, in Andy's earlier pitch of maybe the mayor being Oogie Boogie, right, right, there's right. a way of making all of this work and making Oogie the good villain. Do you, do you want to? I was just going to say that. I mean, there is a way to um, to pay this off and set up a conflict with the mayor. And then really, they, then... Then we meet Oogie Boogie and we realize he's been fighting the mayor the whole time. I mean, that would be interesting. Or even setting up a conflict with, say, Finkelstein, right? And then we find out that the, you know, Oogie Boogie is really Dr. Finkelstein. I mean, there there are ways to do this. And it just, it's like this antagonist comes out of nowhere. It's like, what what is this all about? What is his role in Halloween Town? It doesn't seem like he has one. It almost seems like an afterthought or a patch. Yeah, uh, I, and I do want to. I do want to throw out here. I think the mayor is a much better person for this than Doctor Finkelstein would be. Mm-hmm. Uh, but specifically, you you redo the mayor a little bit, like he's Iago from Othello, uh, mm-hmm. and like he sees Jack is depressed, and he's like, "Oh, Jack, why don't you walk into the forest and l- have have the mayor lead Jack to Christmas Town." Yeah. Whisper, and then Jack comes back and goes, "It was marvelous." And then have the mayor be like, "It's just such a shame we can't do Christmas." And give mm-hmm. Jack the idea, set Jack up to be destroyed, so that Oogie Boogie can take over Halloween once and for all. That would be something. Well, it would definitely ratchet up the tension, right? Yes, uh, but but it isn't happening here, and he's not the antagonist of the movie. Honestly, the antagonist of the movie is Sally. If you're yeah. going, if you're yeah. going from the perspective of who's trying to stop Jack from getting what he wants, right. it's Sally because Sally's trying to stop him from going on the sleigh ride. Right. 
I want to I want to throw out my proposal though, Andy. All I right, think we throw can throw out your proposal. Do it. I think we can do better than either of these. I want the antagonist of this movie to be Santa Claus. I want a fight between <laughs> Halloween and Christmas. I don't want Santa out of the way. I want them both up in sleighs with reindeer doing an aerial dog fight where like, and then like Santa Claus pulls out like a candy cane and then Jack pulls out his version of a candy cane and they do a sword fight at dawn. Uh, let's let us make Santa Claus is like, someone's trying to take over Christmas. Not on my watch. And like, it. and you know, he's like, I don't need the naughty or nice list. I, I know naughty when I see it. Yeah, give me give me a Santa Claus who kicks butt and all of a sudden like Jack is like, oh no, Santa's coming for me. I, I think that would have been so great. Right. I still love what we got. I still love the movie we got. I'm still so grateful for the movie we got. Oh, 100%. But, but that would be so fun. It would be so fun. Let's talk yeah. about themes. Um, what themes do we see in this movie? Uh, well, you know, there obviously we could talk about whether this movie is a Christmas movie or a Halloween movie. Yeah, do we think it's a Christmas movie or a Halloween movie? Well, well, see, I asked that question, but it's a you you know I have a secret trick answer to that, which is it's well, neither. And why don't you share it with our audience? It's okay. neither. Well, all what? right, so. So I don't think it's a Christmas movie and I don't think it's a Halloween movie. This movie is the perfect Easter movie. And I'm not being I'm not being like a snide jerk when I say this. I really do believe it's an Easter movie. If we strip all of the character stuff from it. The, mm -hmm. uh, like I'm taking out names. This is the story of a man who is a spiritual leader in his community. He's he He's a little distraught. He goes out into the wilderness, and out in the wilderness, he has a vision. A vision of this place filled with pure love. And he comes back to his community, and he tries to talk to his community. And as much as he wants to give the message to them, they're just not getting the message. He mm. needs to take, you know, he needs to take more active. He gets a bunch of them on board with him, but none of them completely gets it. Uh, he's so he goes out to deliver the message and he is betrayed. He is destroyed delivering this message. Uh, he falls down into the arms of an angel and is resurrected, returns oh. to his community, saves some people. <laughs> and finally, this idea of pure love comes to his community and now they all get it. That, Andy is Easter. <laughs> Am I wrong? You're not wrong. You're not I, again, wrong. No, Jewish. <laughs> my, my knowledge of Easter comes secondhand. I mean, you did, you did a great job. Okay. You, I, hit, the I mean, high, you so, hit the high points. <laughs> some, some key points to this, just, just, so, just so you see them next time, listener. Um, when Jack falls out of the sky, he falls directly into the arms of Mary, a statue of Mary, uh, uh, the Virgin Mary. Mm -hmm. And I can't help but see Sally as Mary Magdalene, right? Yeah, She's the one yeah, who's like, sure. Jack, if you keep going in this way, you'll meet, meet direction, you'll meet disaster. And he's like, but I have to. I must drink of right. this cup. Right. 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 
Uh, she's the only one who sees the man, and everybody else sees the leader. Uh, I, I. No, really I, think you're, I think you're I think you're spot on. I mean, I think, yeah, I was going to say adventure breaking with tradition were the themes of this movie. But I mean, if you want to call it an Easter movie, I mean, you made your case. Rebirth and redemption. Even it at is. the beginning of the movie, we see him burn himself alive as the pumpkin king and be reborn. Jack is mm-hmm. all about rebirth, rebirth and spiritual and really growth. That's what midlife is, right? It's almost yes. the second adolescence. And so you see this kind of like, what am I doing here? What is my purpose? I thought it was going to be this, but boy, this life didn't really give me what I thought it was going to give me. I need this instead. And so, right. yeah, yeah, that's how I feel about this movie. No, I, so. and I think I think that's completely accurate. Viewing it as like a man having a mid a midlife crisis, I think, really mm-hmm. opened my eyes. That that idea of yes, no, I I I agree. Yeah. All right. Time for a pitch. What will we do with this material? What would you do, Larry? Okay, well, so I did this with my Disney D&D group that I play with on Friday nights. But my <laughs> my my sequel to A Nightmare Before Christmas is Jack finds a door to Storybrook Land. And he comes into the story of Cinderella and decides that he can do a better job than the fairy godmother can. He gets the he gets the robe, he gets the wand, uh, he goes to help Cinderella, and when he casts his spell, he goes bippity, boppity, Boo! And the pumpkin, as in Cinderella, comes out of the ground, but it's turned into like a demonic sort of jack-o'-lantern uh, carriage. Mm-hmm. And uh, like every everything that he does, he he gives Cinderella a goth look. She's wearing a dark black black uh, dress, really pale white makeup, and 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 uh, like black eyeliner, and you know ev- everything is very Halloweeny. She goes to the ball and like. Everything that she, she brings with her starts tormenting the stepsisters and the other guests at the ball. And we call my pitch, Andy, the Nightmare Before Princess. I love it. I love it, too. I have some fantastic. All right, you want to hear my pitch? Yes, yes, yes. Okay. So Sally knows that she wants to be Jack or the Pumpkin King's sweetheart, right? But she doesn't really know what it means after this big moment with the moon. Um you have the, you know, your your love moment. She doesn't really know what it means to love someone since she's only really had Dr. Finkelstein. That, right? Finkelstein is a model. And he's really used her and kind of kept her under his thumb, right? So she and Jack have this big fight. And she runs away. And she, and she runs away to the forest. And she finds a tree with a valentine. And she opens that door and, and discovers Valentine Town in the same way that Jack finds Christmas town, right? And she starts taking tricks from Cupid and others who are um, you know, rather love struck in Valentine Town. And in the end, she discovers that love isn't something you buy, it's someone you are. And so I instead love that. of oh, and so instead of pursuing a relationship first like she does in this movie, she's all about I have to be Jack, 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 right? She learns to love herself before anyone else. And my youngest son would absolutely love this pitch, Andy. His his big complaint about this movie was he wanted to see all the worlds. And you're giving him another one. You're giving him Valentine's Day world, which I think is a smart pull uh, of, of the worlds. I think we got the two most visually interesting in this movie. But I yeah. think you've picked a clear winner for third. 
um, in, well, in yours. Well, I think it would be fun if there was a chase between all these worlds, too. Like, you know, maybe Jack's trying to find her and he's opening up different doors. You know, he's like, where is she? Where is she? He had this yes. fight and he's going, he's going into different worlds going, no, she's not in here. That's not her. But then he gets foiled and... You know, then she can't find her way back to him, and I mean, I think it would be really fun. It's a great set a piece to play with. Yes, yeah. no, I yeah. agree. I think I think we'd all enjoy that. Yeah, well, friends, if you like what you're hearing, will you do us a favor and share this podcast with another Disney or classic movie fan? We would really love that, Larry. What are we doing next week? Next week, we are doing, believe it or not, The Watcher in the Woods. Ooh. This is, I can't recommend this movie. I've never seen it. Neither of uh, us have ever seen it, but it is a frequently requested episode, so we're going to do it. By, by the overwhelming majority of people have asked us to do this movie, including <laughs> including my wife. So so, uh, like I I can't encourage you to watch it. I can't encourage you to not watch it. You, you know, just don't blame us. Well, just don't blame us. It could be great. It, um, if you want to find the movie, it's a little tough to find. You can get it. Um, Disney.com sells the DVD. For the cheapest price I've found. And then also you can look for it on Netflix. But I hear you want to look at the DVD because if you can, because there's a weird ending to it. Oh, gosh. Um, there, was, there was an ending that was created, but then they scrapped that ending and then went with another ending. But the original ending, I guess, is just gold. I'm That's so scared I'm right now. <laughs> Well, That's, both of us are going in blind, so this should be a fun experiment in Disney horror, for sure. Yes. So, so please check out our Once Upon a Disney Facebook page. You can tweet us at, at Andy Redwine or at Larry Brenner 6 And thanks to, to those of you who are doing that. And uh, if you, Or you can drop us a line in our mailbag at onceuponadisneypodcast at gmail.com. So until next time, friends, see you real soon. See you real soon. <laughs>